All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer Podcast. Raf Giallo here and joined this week by Marie Crow, RT2FM's Game On presenter and also Paul Corey, former UCD Sheffield Wednesday in Northampton Town and Shamrock Rovers midfielder. It's been a historic week for the Irish women with Vera Powell's side not only beating Finland to make sure of World Cup playoff place, but then following it up yesterday with another 1-0 win over Slovakia, which means that they are going to skip and get a bye past the first round of the World Cup playoffs and straight into a second round with a one-legged tie, potentially meaning a place in a first ever major tournament, which is going to be taking place in Australia and New Zealand next summer. But we're also going to be talking to Denise Sullivan herself, the score of the winning goal against Slovakia. We were chatting to her a little bit earlier on, and it's about the campaign and her goal and just the growth of this Irish team after the heartache of the last qualifying campaign. It's also a big week for Shamrock Rovers on the European front. Their Conference League group stage campaign begins against Eurogorn of Sweden on Thursday at Tallis Stadium. So we'll be looking ahead to that. We'll also be looking back at the weekend's SSC or Tristy League action, including Shamrock Rovers' defeat to Bohemians. And we'll also be reacting to some of this week's Champions League action. But Marie, I guess best place to start, of course, is the Ireland women's national team. And what a week it was with those two 1-0 wins. It's impressive for a lot of reasons. And I think even if we go back to the start of the campaign when they had that devastating um, last minute loss to Ukraine and missed out on getting to the Euros, the way that they have recovered from that and bounced back and kept moving forward is a real credit to them because that could have ended a team. But what it seems to have done is to brought them even closer and tighter and even even to bring their goal into sharper focus, which is to get to a major tournament. And the way that they have gone through this campaign, like the results speak for themselves, to see them sitting there second in their group has been unbelievable. But they have fought for every single result that they have got in this campaign. And the work rate, um, the the camaraderie, you know, even the fact that if players are are injured or are missing through suspension, they have now depth in the squad that they can bring in different players to replace them. And it doesn't feel like the squad is weakened. And that's something that we never really had before. Um, just overall, look, I know there's been a little bit of criticism about maybe their performances, but I can't overstate how important it is to commend them on how far they've come. Yeah, let's listen to Vera Pau, who was speaking after the 1-0 win over Slovakia to RTE Sports' Tony O'Donoghue. Vera, congratulations. A campaign that ended with five victories, two draws and just one defeat by one goal to to Sweden. Who would have thought that at the beginning? Yeah, well, we did, but not in these favours, not in these facts. It's unbelievable how this team is growing, because tonight it was not nice, not good football, not our best game, but you can see that these Tigers can fight for a win. How pleased are you? Because, yeah, this was this was a dirty game, a difficult game. It was a roll-up-the-sleeves game. Yeah, indeed. Uh, and the, op- the opponent was by t- times really nasty, and I said, actually, this is an ugly game. But who cares? I mean, it's about three points. It's about winning, uh, going to the second playoff round, uh, skipping the first playoff round. It's just unbelievable, isn't it? And one of the most important things in sport, they say, is momentum, and you're carrying that momentum through now. Am I now missing the picture? <laughs> yeah, we are going to um, uh, to rethink what we're going to do. Friday is the draw. And uh, Katie said there, make sure that you stay healthy, take care of yourself, get even fitter. And uh, I think that, that those are the best words you can give. The strange thing about that draw, though, you could get a, a seeded team because it is an open draw. It's, it's, it's strange, isn't it? It is very strange. And I don't think they will ever do this again because everybody's talking about it and uh, it, it doesn't make sense. It just doesn't make sense. But with this campaign that we've had, 
everyone will fear getting Ireland now. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I hope they don't fear it yet. I hope they fear it after that game. <laughs> well, congratulations to you and the team, and well done. Thank you so much. All right, that is Ireland manager Vera Pau speaking after the 1-0 win in Slovakia, which, um, as alluded to there, actually sends them straight into the second round of the playoffs and then a one-legged tie, which will, if all goes well, um, take them directly to the World Cup. But, Paul, you know, the challenge of having to follow up you know, the high of beating Finland 1-0 and kind of doing the double over the team that were expected to be in the battle for that second place and then finishing seven points clear of them. Ultimately, it's a difficult thing for a team, I guess, to to follow up a high like that, especially with only like a few days of difference, five days in between that and then having to travel to Slovakia with another uh, target in mind. Spot on, Raf. And I don't know whether it was just the importance of the Finland game, but maybe some people are actually underestimating the importance of last night and and how important that could be with regards to the journey to potentially qualifying to the World Cup. And I think Vera Pau, first and foremost, deserves a, a hell of a lot of credit for that. Um, Marie mentioned it there, that maybe some of the performances haven't been as spectacular to watch as, as, as in previous games, but... At this stage of a campaign, it really is all about results and, and it doesn't really matter how you go about getting them. I thought we played a little better last night than we did against Finland. Certainly the second half of, of the first half, we, we started to be a bit more aggressive with regards to pressing higher up the pitch. And then we started to see Denise and Katie and, and our attacking players start to come into the game. And listen, once we went 1-0 ahead, I can't remember too many threats on our goal. I don't remember Slovakia really penetrating us down, down the sides or too many shots that Courtney Brosnan had to save. So they managed the occasion and they managed the, the game really well. And I mean, from from our perspective of, of moving forward and the playoff games, I think we've shown throughout this group that we can actually go about winning games in a number of, of different styles. There's obviously the one against Finland where we're probably a little more patient and we sat back. But then when we played against Slovakia and Georgia, we're far more aggressive in our play. So it all bodes well. I think there would be great belief, to be great confidence amongst the squad all the way through to the management that irrespective of who we come up against, they can develop a game plan uh, that we can be a threat against anybody. Yeah, and Marie, like it has been built on defence as well when we look at the, you know, the overall campaign. Only four goals conceded. Yeah, and like they've had four clean sheets in a row. And I think as well, when you go back to maybe some of the earlier games in the campaign and there was so much debate about who should go on goals, you know, we're giving Vera Powell a lot of credit here, but Courtney Brosnan deserves a lot of credit as well because, you know, she weathered a storm there where she was facing a lot of criticism. You know, there was a few uh, dodgy goals conceded, but to go to for a player like her to be in that situation... The way that she has reacted to any criticism, she has completely um, developed her game, her leadership, her communication, any criticism that there was of, of her game, she worked on it and she's got herself into a position now where she's such a crucial cog in that team. And, you know, we're, we're looking at the, the defence and how strong it is. If they didn't have someone solid like Courtney in goals, they wouldn't have that confidence either. So she's been such a, a huge player for them. But look, that defence that you mentioned there, and you know they've had injuries of late. Need Fahi, of course, a massive leader for her to to uh, be injured, and then. Um, um, Megan Connolly as well then from her rib injury the last day but players are slotting in there and clearly they know exactly what they're supposed to do because 
you don't seem to really notice that these key players are missing because whoever's coming in is able to do a job and like Diane Caldwell getting her 90th cap there against Slovakia Louise Quinn like has just been such an unbelievable servant and is still a threat at uh, the other end of the pitch as well um, they've just been brilliant and like you know we're talking about them maybe not performing as well or you know not controlling the game as much as as they that we know they're capable of not hanging on to the ball enough but like for me it doesn't matter like I don't care how they play as long as they get there because if they can get to a major tournament if they have to win every single game ugly no one is going to remember what we're going to remember is getting on that plane to New Zealand to support Ireland at a World Cup and that's the goal that's the aim whatever it takes and um, whatever they do if they do get there you know we can analyse it and, and be critical of it then but getting there at any cost in any way is what this team should be about and seem to be about and they shouldn't have to make no apologies for it yeah, as you mentioned, there has been talk of a need for a room. There, there is a room for improvement there based on the last two performances and something Karen Duggan and Lisa Fallon mentioned on the coverage yesterday. But, you know, Vera Pau, obviously, and her team will be looking at making those incremental changes. What do you think they will be focused on, on based on what you've seen in this particular window? Look, I think that they have the quality players and the midfield is an area where we, when we have the ball, we can dominate. So it's just getting that confidence, I think, you know, having the confidence to realise that we can play the ball through the middle. We can hang on to it a little bit more. You know, we can take that extra second to pick out the right pass. Sometimes I feel we do revert to the long ball a little bit, but it's been in situations, I think, especially of late, when there has been massive pressure on this team. And, you know, they, I'm sure they're still haunted a little bit by those memories of not making the Euros and how close they came and no matter how you try to coach a team to play a certain way when they have experienced something like they have they are going to still feel a little bit of pressure and maybe not always do the right things not always making the right decision not showing that composure on the ball and I think that will come in time maybe it'll be a case where we get to a World Cup we've you know got group games and you know we're playing unbelievable football but I understand why these things happen why they make mistakes why it's not there isn't as much fluidity and um, you know why they revert to a game plan um, where you have Heather Payne running all over the place just you know trying to, to, to get on the ball up top and it's because of what's gone beforehand but I do think when we look at the team that we have and again they're growing you know it's only now like you guys will know from following women's football that we have so many players playing at such a high level we have players that have a better technical ability but it's just getting everybody to kind of gel and be confident and, and to realize that you know we can play this game we can play a better game of football um, and you would hope eventually they will but if they don't I'm okay with it for now. Yeah, and uh, one other thing, of course, is what awaits in the playoffs. So the draw is on Friday, and now there's the first round, uh, which involves six teams. Three will go through, and then they will face the three, which includes Ireland in the second round. And there is no seeding as well. It's a very convoluted process, Marie. Yeah, it really is, and I hope you're not asking, looking to me now to try and explain it to you. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, there's a there's a good piece on the RT website that Anthony Pine has done, which sets which breaks it down. But it just seems uh, it just seems extremely convoluted. Yeah, and you heard Vera mention it there. Like, I hope they never do anything like this ever again because it's so hard to figure out. And like, all you can really do, and in a way, it's maybe a good thing, is you can literally just take each game as it comes because you don't know what's around the corner. Um, you know, and. Like if they do get that, uh, if they do get through that next playoff, like absolutely fantastic. If they don't, we're not sure what's who or what awaits them and how many games they're going to have to to get to through to try and get to a World Cup. But we do know that on Friday we're going to find out which team that they are up against, and you know, essentially it's a cup final. Like it'll be a, a winner takes all. Um, 
trying to get there, trying to get the win. But like one good thing that, you know, I was looking at the teams that they could potentially face it and having watched the Euros, and I'd say a lot of people will be the same, like, you know, I watched the Euros and, and thought to myself, Ireland would look right at home here, you know, when you're looking at teams like Belgium and Iceland and Portugal. And I think that whoever they face, having seen what they play like in the big stage, and obviously they know them all so well as well, that Ireland will be a match for these teams that maybe who we would have perceived as being too good for us. And again, Vera and her policy and, and philosophy of playing higher ranked teams, like that's going to come, um, that's going to come into play or, or could come into play if they do get somebody that would be perceived as better than, than them in this playoff, because, you know, they've done it now in the past and they've gone and they faced the big teams that they weren't expected to beat and gone toe to toe with them. So like, they'll be experienced in those situations. And like Raf. It's a thing that, you know, like it's only now over the last few years that these players are getting the experience of playing in these high pressured situations. They're now in like the women's, um, like in the Super League and they're playing against these these players that they mightn't have done so before. So all that's just taking a little bit of time to realise that, OK, we can cope with all of this. Like we are comfortable in our surrounds and, you know, we can go out and win big games and deal with whatever comes at them. And like that's just taking a bit of time, but I feel they're there now for that situation. And, and you know, we saw it, would they have beaten a Slovakian and, and, a, and a Finland in the past? They, they could have, but it would have been maybe a little bit trickier than, than they've shown in the last couple of weeks. Like they're able to deal with things that are thrown at them now, I feel. Yeah, and Paul, just uh, alluding to that, actually, just looking at the teams that are um, involved in the uh, in that first uh, the first round of the playoffs, and some of them having we've just seen them playing in the Euros, so Austria and Belgium and Portugal, and then of course there's Scotland, Wales, and Bosnia in there as well. Who knows who comes out of that, especially with the way the draw is made. But when is there anything you know, Ireland and Denise Sullivan, who we'll be speaking to very shortly, has spoken about not really fearing anybody. But is there anything have you, that you've seen in the Euros that would make you think maybe there are certain teams you'd want to avoid? Yeah, I think most importantly, before we actually look at the teams, the fact that we only have to go through one round is is absolutely huge. Like myself and me were talking about it last night, and I think the probability is that if if we win our playoff game, that we will go to the, the final tournament. So only having to play one game is huge. I think when you go down through the list, Belgium were very unlucky against against Sweden. I think it was in, in the European Championships and uh, is probably one of the sides that could have gone further in that competition. And I think when you have that confidence of recently playing in a in a major tournament and, and being very unlucky to get knocked out, you probably have the desire and the, the team has the belief to actually go again within a World Cup. So naturally enough, the teams that kind of spring off the page will one be Belgium and secondly, maybe Austria. Um, You know, you look at any tournament that we've qualified for, Ralph, men's or women's, we've always been a, a little lucky with our with our playoff draw. If you think back to Estonia, you think back to Iran, we certainly could do with, with maybe drawing maybe a, a playing style a little closer to home, the likes of a Wales or the likes of a Scotland, whereby there's maybe less of a fear factor because the players are playing against or with these type of, of, of players on a weekly basis. So that might suit our playing style and then maybe getting away from maybe more of the um, so-called perceived bigger nations, the likes of, of a Belgium or Austria at this time w- would certainly do as well. But we'll, we'll soon find out on Friday what the permutations will be and, and where we're going to be travelling to. Yeah, and uh, just on that as well, I mean, uh, a point Karen Duggan was making, Marie, was, you know, looking through it, Iceland were quite difficult opponents when Ireland were playing them in friendlies last year. So she kind of suggested that that might be one to avoid. But then on the other hand, she mentioned Portugal, who looked, you know, technically brilliant during the Euros and the fact that Ireland have, 
done well against the likes of Sweden and Finland in the group were a lot more direct that maybe avoiding a technical team like Portugal would be more beneficial? Yeah, like it probably would be more beneficial, all right. But like at the same time, like it is a one-off game and anything can happen. And watching the the girls over the last couple of weeks and, and, you know, over the last campaign and that, their confidence is going to be high and momentum is such a powerful thing. I know it's a, it's a cliche and everything, but like we're seeing them now, you know, we saw, and this really impressed me, we saw them against Finland and the outpouring of emotion afterwards and Paul alluded to it at the top as well. Like they were, it, it felt like they'd qualified for a World Cup. They were able to manage that, which is a really difficult thing in sport and to come out then a few days later and put that performance in against Slovakia. I just feel that no matter who they get, like look, will come into it I would just have faith in them that they're going to be able to go out. They know what's on what's at stake. And like, you know, like, again, lots of women in football have been on a journey, but this team in particular, they have been on an unbelievable journey um, over the last five years and have came through so much and dealt with the pressure that has been put on them as well. Um, like in a perfect world, you'd get a Wales or a Scotland and, you know, the girls would know each other inside out from all the years of playing against each other and playing each other in leagues and that. But I think if they got a, a Portugal as well, you know, they'd be able to, to figure it out. They'd be able to find a way to unlock a technical team like we have really good players as well you know like we've Katie McCabe um we have Denise like Jessica Zoo got a player of the match performance against Slovakia I thought she struggled against Finland a little bit but was able to put in a an unbelievable performance against uh Slovakia and you know she's a player as well that when when she has a bit of confidence like she has the technical ability to 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 be creative and to unlock defenses and to make her mark as well so look maybe I'm being overconfident about it but I just don't see why we shouldn't be overly confident about it because of everything that they've achieved and the potential that's in the squad. Yeah, but at the same time as well, would there be a kind of benefit? And we're naturally going to be underdogs, I would say, just because of the nature of the teams that are um, going to be in that draw. And I mean, the ones that have already qualified for tournaments before. And, you know, I, I guess sometimes as a, as a football nation, we've often thrived on that, Paul. Yeah, we have. And I think Marie's point there is I'm not sure we'll, we'll fear too much. So we'll happily probably go in as underdogs in, into whatever fixture it is that we're, we're likely to face. But I think what's most important is is just that momentum, that belief that the players will have amongst themselves as a squad, as, as a unit that irrespective of who we go up against, we'll always, we'll always give ourselves a chance. The fact that we don't concede many goals, Raph, is, is vitally important when you go into a playoff situation. Um, it always gives yourself a chance within a 90-minute game. And we've proven at times that um, a set piece is, is a real route to go. I think if we, we're a little more accurate within our play, particularly in possession of the football, if we can improve in, in that sense, well, then we will give our, ourselves a really good shot. But if we go in, listen, I don't think it really matters whether or not we go in as underdogs and we go in as favourites. The way they've conducted themselves over the last seven days um, with both of those fixtures would would give me enough confidence to say that they're they're going to be well equipped to to head into this playoff fixture but I go back to it again it is so important that we finished in the top three of those second place teams because with just one game to prepare and one game to look forward to we can really put our full focus into it yeah it goals, Raph, as well though like yeah. and you know that's not something that we always associate with Irish football teams but like our goals come from a variety of different players you know we'd seen uh Lily Ag coming on there and doing the business when she needed to uh Denise score in the last day you know we know what Katie can do as well and we have plenty of players on that pitch that can 
throw in Louise Quinn from the, the set piece as well. And, you know, that's almost like a bit of a, a luxury that we've never had before, that we're able to create chances and have players that are able to finish them. So when you put that together with the, the defence that we have as well, Courtney doing well, a decent midfield, if everybody could just function at the top of their game on the big day, there is, like there will be teams there that will fear us. Like, they'll be looking at Katie McCabe going, like, we're watching her in the Women's Super League week in, week out. They have a world-class player there. We have Denise, they have Denise O'Sullivan as well, another world-class player as well. They have players that have come through a huge amount, will pretty much probably die for each other out there. And I think maybe when we're at home, when we're sitting down and we're analysing, you know, we, we we kind of take it for granted a little bit that we have the players that, that we have. And we didn't always have them, and we might not always have them, but there is a really good prop here now. And, and Vera too, like Vera knows how to get, get the best out of them and, and knows how to go out and win games. Speaking of goal scorers, we were speaking to Denise O'Sullivan, the scorer of the winning goal for Ireland against Slovakia, which ensured that Vera Pau's side goes straight into the second round of the World Cup playoffs. And fresh from returning home from Slovakia, it was straight into the launch of the European Week of Sport, which will run from the 23rd to the 30th of September and aims to get people active. So here's our chat with Denise O'Sullivan. As we, uh, you know, speaking of goals and, uh, you know, players making timely runs into the box, Denise O'Sullivan did that last night and she's also made a very timely appearance on the podcast now. Denise, uh, you know, congrats. There was a lot of pressure coming into this window with the, ahead of the game against Finland and then obviously uh, last night's game against Slovakia, but two 1-0 wins and not only are you in a playoff, but you're into the second round of it and avoid any pitfalls that happen in the first round of it. So like, how are you feeling today? Obviously tired, but you must be delighted as a squad as well. Yeah, a bit tired. Um, obviously the last few days, the last week has been a emotional roller coaster, uh, highs and of the Finland game and then trying to get back down to earth again to prepare for the Slovakia game. But um, all I can say is we're absolutely delighted as a squad and I'm very, I'm just filled with pride and emotion right now. So um yeah, it's, it's, it's great and I'm very happy. Yeah, and how did you look to manage the week? Because obviously the high of beating Finland and doing the double over them and that puts you into the playoff, but then knowing that you have to follow it up to try and, you know, you have that target of maybe avoiding that first round of the playoffs. Like, how did you approach that week leading into it? Yeah, I mean, obviously getting to three points, first of all, was the most important thing against Finland and we done that and... um. The next few days was all about just getting refocused again, doing our recovery. Vera gave us a day off as a team to just do whatever we wanted. Um, so I just think it was kind of switching off mentally for that day, doing what we wanted as a team to get prepared for to go back training again. But it was just to switch that mindset to say, look, yeah, we have made a playoff, but we have a long way to go still. And we, we wanted to go to Slovakia to get those three points. And that was always in the back of our minds. And, we didn't really need much motivation. I didn't personally. I knew what was on the line. I knew what was on, at stake for the team. So it was just um, getting refocused again, getting as fresh as we can to to go out and try and perform and get the three points. Yeah. And, you know, we'll talk about your goal very, very shortly. But in terms of the way you manage the game, you seem to press very high early on and you seem to win possession uh, very high up the pitch at the beginning. And then about 15 minutes in, it's it sort of the game sort of balanced out and then you were playing a little bit more on the counter. Was that sort of part of the plan? Um, I think it just changed. I just don't think you can press high for, for 90 minutes straight, you know, so there was it was just about game management. And for us, yeah, we went at them. In the first, and I thought we'd done very well in the first 15 minutes of the game. And um, then we kind of just dropped off a bit, kept our shape, kept um, our organisation and, and caught them on the break. And that's how we scored a goal. Um, 
just Jesu putting them under pressure and winning the ball back, you know, going forward. But um, I did think coming out in the second half, um, Slovakia just came out, Katie said it came out to kick us really and break the game up. And that's what they done. They done it well. But uh, it was just about us keeping control of the game in that second half um, seeing the game out. And we were very happy we were able to do that in the end. Yeah, and some of the challenges were a little bit uh were were a little bit over the top to say the least. I think there was one where um it was just in that second half, Katie McCabe is caught by the follow through. And I think you were right on the scene there, you know, trying to draw the referee's yeah, attention to, to it as well. <laughs> yeah. I did. I had to try and keep my head because it was it was a dangerous tackle, but um Vera kind of touched on it before the game, you know, not to try and get any yellow cards because we have had previous a few yellow cards before that. So it was important to just uh as much as you can try and keep your try and keep your head in those moments um when you're seeing your teammate being kicked like that it's it's uh, it's kind of hard to do but i think we we done it well as a team and um we managed the game really well in the end yeah and the goal itself as you said Jess, you won it uh, high up the pitch and then you combined with her got it out to heather Payne. but you had a lot of work to do because of the way the trajectory of the ball kind of where the mm. how it deflected off the slovakian defender so if you just talk us through that yeah, first of all, it was a great team goal. Um, I think the the big thing there was just winning that ball, fighting back, fighting down for that ball. Uh, that was really important. And then I played Heather in behind. Um, Heather cut the ball back and it was just kind of a, a bad clearance by the Slovakian player, but the ball actually fell at an awkward position for me, kind of behind me. So I had to try and get my body around it, but I managed to do it somehow and, and just seeing it go in the back of the net. And it was a relief to, to get off the mark. I think that's that's part of my job. It's my responsibility to assist and score goals in this team. So it was, I was very happy to do it last night and help the team get three points. Yeah. And you've uh, six goals in the campaign, Katie McCabe with seven and uh, you know, your role you know, kind of playing in those pockets, trying to create and also get on the end of things as well. Is that something you've spe- specifically spoken to Vera Pau about, um, you know, contributing to in within this system? Yeah. I mean, I didn't really know coming into this camp whether I would play the deeper role or the 10. Um, but I think with just some things in the team, I, I just was in that position to play the deeper role and that's where Vera wanted me and that was the best for the team. So um, I took that on board and um, yeah, I was kind of more of a box-to-box player trying to start that build up um, and then try and get forward as well. So it was, it was it was a lot of ground to cover. It was, it was tough work, but um, I do that for my club week in, week out. So it's a uh, second nature now and um as I said, whatever position I put in for this team, I'll just give it 100% and, and try and get, help the team get three points. And that's what we done last night. So very happy. Denise, I've spent the last 15 minutes telling the two lads how confident I am about uh, whatever comes next for you guys. I'm looking at the draw, it's all fine. Like, don't worry about it. Uh, how are you feeling about it? Oh, it's been a bit of an emotional roller coaster, honestly. Um, obviously, you're getting into the second round, which is really, really good. Um, we're going to come up against no matter what team, it's going to be a high level team. It's going to be a really tough game. But then after here, and even if we win the game, we could potentially still have to go to New Zealand. That's just a mind. That's just mind blown to me. But look, it, it is what it is. And um, but I think the most important thing for us is just to focus on this game on the 11th, be prepared as best we can and um, try and win looking at the teams there and you know we saw a lot of them play in the Euros and you know a lot of the conversation coming out from us watching the Euros anyway was that like you would have looked right at home there like there would have been no no fear for you when you know you're looking at some of the teams in the in the groups it would have been a situation where you would have held your own. Yeah for sure I think and that that has shown in these games I think we've in this campaign we've been uh, 
we've been good as a team. I think we can still improve in a lot, but we've we've come a long way. And uh, as I said, I think we're we have good momentum now going into this game on the 11th. Um, the last four games we've had clean sheets. Our backline has been phenomenal. Goalkeeper has been excellent. So uh, we are pretty confident as a team. And um, I don't think we fear anyone now at this stage. But as I said, again, I keep harping on. We have a long way to go. It is, it's going to be um, a tough game. Yeah. And what are the areas of improvement you're looking at as a team? Um, obviously, you know, the, the fact that you've got as far as you have to the second round of the playoffs and still, you, you know, you can look at areas of improvement. Obviously, it's a great sign as well. Yeah, definitely. I think there's always um, areas where you can improve in every team. But I think um, we're always being the team that are well organized um, defensively, very good. We'll throw our bodies in front of the line to stop a goal. Um, I think that's just the Irish mentality that we have in us. But I think now it's just adding to that goal scoring um, creating more opportunities going forward. I think being more dynamic on the break um, picking out passes and, and try and make those um, passes that are tough, you know. So um, I think that's definitely areas of improvement that we can, we can keep working on and, and just try and score more goals as a team. From a personal point of view, Denise, like yourself and maybe more of the senior members of the squad have, have popped up at really important times. Do you feel, I guess, from a personal point of view that this is the right time in your career? You know, do you feel like you're in the form of your career? I do. Yeah. Um, and for me, I'm very competitive. I, I think I can always do better. And look, I have six games in the campaign, but I, I wanted more. <laughs> to be honest, I would have been happy with a bit more. But um, yeah, I think um, it's just about it's about the team. And I think that the mix of youth and experience is very important in the team. And I think whatever I can bring is um, that's really important, whether I'm playing in that deeper role, whether I'm playing in the 10. Um, I know I'll work, I'll work really hard and I do think I'm at a good stage in my career where I'm in top shape. Um, and yeah, I just want to want to keep getting better, keep improving and, and be a, a good team player. Yeah, and the widening of the squad as well must be beneficial both as a motivator for yourself individually and then collectively as well. I mean, we've seen Lily Ag being introduced and then scoring against Finland and, you know, playing alongside you there yesterday against Slovakia and then Megan Campbell coming back from injury, Clara Reardon slotting in, you know, obviously there's unfortunate injuries like Savannah McCarthy, but it just feels like such a such a, a much, much wider squad and seems to be something Vera Pau has built over the, the last couple of years. Yeah, we do. We have a very strong squad now, I would say. And obviously those four girls getting injured was a big blow to us, but we were just able to put players in there and, and they looked really comfortable in those positions. So we do have great depth in the squad right now. And it just shows Lily Ag coming on the other night um, scoring not only that, but having a great game when she came on. It just shows how valuable each player is to this team. And um, yeah, what, what players can bring is, yeah, we can go to, to new levels. I think we have a, a special squad. Yeah, and just how big a motivator was watching the European Championships from afar? Because again, you're playing against some of those teams in the qualifiers and then, you know, in the playoff as well, there's a potential that you're going to meet teams that were there. But, you know, you, you watching that from afar, knowing that you can mix it with them. Yeah, it was bittersweet, honestly. <laughs> I was wishing I was being, I was there, but um, yeah, it, it was good to watch. I mean, that tournament was phenomenal. To see England uh, win, that was was really cool. Um, to see their fans get behind them and what they've done in that country for the sport and all over the world, to be honest. So to be able to watch them and um, they're all high level teams at that tournament and know that we can come up against them at any stage. So um, it was it was really good to see. 
All right, so that is Nisa Sullivan speaking to us earlier about uh, her goal-scoring performance against Slovakia. 1-0 win, which of course takes Ireland into the second round of the World Cup playoffs. But there's plenty of other things going on, of course, with uh, Shamrock Rovers involved in European action as well. As we know, they're in the Europa Conference League group stage and first game up this Thursday, 8pm kickoff, is against Hugh Gordon of Sweden. And uh, that's a Tala Stadium. And Paul, I know from how you viewed this group that the home games are going to be massive for Shamrock Rovers. 100% Raf, and I think they've shown really good form, particularly at Tala. Not just this year, but in, in previous campaigns as well. If you think back to the Slovan Bratislava game and then this time round, um, particularly the Ludogrets and the Fern Faros games, really solid performances. And you would imagine that if we are to see Shamrock Rovers put together some some points or you know a good point tally, the majority of those games, you would imagine you would see the points coming at home. And starting this Thursday, you would look at the group. And, uh, you know, Molda, Genk and Jugarden, you would imagine that this is probably a fixture where they would they would fancy themselves to get something from us. Um, it is it is a difficult one. These European games are always going to be difficult. I think when you look at the qualifying games that they did win at home, Ludogratz and Ferenvaros were probably either they perceived the tie to be over. Or they thought the, the tie was done and dusted given the, the first leg. So maybe. We, we can't read too much into those ties, but the most important thing is that they're there right now. And we know the money that is, is at, at hand here for, for every point that's picked up. So massive opportunity for Shamrock Rovers. I think it'll be really interesting Raph, to see what 11 Stephen Bradley does go with. Um, Jack Byrne was obviously extremely good when he came off the bench in that game against Farron Farrell. And you could see what he brought to the side, but I was also at the game against Bowles last Friday night in Daily Menton. Jack, by his own standards, was was probably a little below par. Now, maybe he suits playing those European games where it's a little more open and the opposition will lay to have a bit more of the ball. But if he can replicate the form that he showed in Tala last Thursday night, um, you, you know, just his ability to create chances to open teams up, even a set-piece delivery, he brings so much more to that Shamrock Rovers team. And if you can get him firing, if you can combine that with kind of the the platform that the rest of the team have, have given Shamrock Rovers, they're certainly going to be within a chance uh, come Thursday night. And let's hope that, you know, there's there's a massive crowd. I'm sure it'll be packed to the walls. I'm sure Marie Crow will be there as well. Um, but we're, we're, I will love the whole league is behind them and fingers crossed they can pick up a result. Yeah, and Jurgoren, I mean, within the Swedish league at the moment, they're in brilliant form. I mean, they've won their last three league matches unbeaten in the competition since May and are sitting second, one point off the top. And you look at their squad as well with six players with some international background or at least uh, international experience from their captain, Magnus Eriksson, and then defenders, Marcus Danielson and uh, Pierre Bengtsson. The only thing with the club, actually, and interesting enough, they don't have a huge amount of experience as a club within European group stages. But even with that, Marie, I guess, Shamrock Rovers will still need to utilise that underdog tag. Yeah, it's really interesting when you kind of dig into the previews because you're getting a completely different perspective than we would have here. So, you know, we're looking at the Shamrock Rovers team and, and talking about the last few years and how don't, good they've done domestically and you know those last couple of performances albeit the ties were over but still you know playing solid playing um putting in solid performances in their home ground in Tala and then you go and look at a at a preview from um a different perspective and it is quite interesting then that you know you are branded or they are branded as as underdogs and you know it's uh 
in a way it's it's almost hard to to see that because you know you're so familiar with the the players here and and what they you know what they're capable of and you know how much European experience they have but you know you mentioned your garden there and the the form that they're in um and it does seem like you know they are coming in very confident will have um a lot going for them just in terms of the amount of goals they're they're conceding um 15 in the five or the six games that they've played and and conceded five um so they are going to be a challenge but like all you can do in these situations when you don't really know a huge amount about a team and we will by the end of this as we've seen in, in other situations when teams have got to group stages um it's just look at the positives and like there are plenty of them in that Shamrock Rovers team and the experience as you mentioned there is 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 pretty huge and, and it's like it's it's European experience which does count for a lot and you know you can't really look further than Ronan Finn there and, and the amount of campaigns that he's under his belt but Stephen Bradley also like he's still a really young manager but he's gone through quite a lot and what he'll have learned even from you know those Champions League qualifiers and Europa League qualifiers and how he was able to almost fix fix things and make them better as the the games went on or the, the toys went on. He'd be able to draw a huge amount from it. But I can't sit here and say I know how it's going to go because I don't know enough about your garden. But I do know that, as Paul said, like, you know, I'll be there. I'll have my three sons there. They're Shamrock Rovers fans. We'll be in the South Stand. It's sold out. All their friends are going. Um, you know, it's going to be a great night. Uh, Tallahassee really became a brilliant place to bring families to. And you would think that Thursday night, a full house, um, a real family occasion, good atmosphere. Um, and a bit like, you know, Denise O'Sullivan had said there, you know, it's never lost on the players what's on the line here as well. And hopefully they'll be able to draw on all those positive day experience um, and put in a performance and at least get the campaign off to a good start because we had to buy the tickets in bundles of three. So <laughs> the, longer, the longer this goes on or the campaign is interesting for the better for all the people who've bought the tickets. <laughs> Yeah, and in terms of, as we said, you know, they're not a, you know, uh, you, Goran, aren't a team we're going to be too familiar with beforehand. Yeah. Obviously, they have played Shamrock Rovers, but 20 years ago uh, in, in qualifiers in Europe. But in terms of players to look out for, Victor uh, Edvarsson, who's the top scorer with six goals, also Joel Asoro, and as I said, the captain, Magnus Eriksson, is also someone to look out for. But from a Shamrock Rovers point of view, uh, Paul, I mean, the challenge that they wouldn't have had uh, 11 years ago when they were involved in the Europa League group stages was that sort of quick turnaround, especially with the World Cup at the end of the year, which means the European campaign is condensed and all six matches uh, against Uruguay and Molde and Ghent, it's followed by domestic fixture straight away, unlike as I said, 11 years ago, where I think it was only half of those fixtures were directly followed by a domestic fixture. So we're going to see the Shamrock Rovers squad really tested. We we certainly will, but I think what Stephen Bradley has done quite well over the last number of seasons and transfer windows is he's built this squad to to be competitive on all fronts. And even if you look at the game against Bowes last Friday, they'd Sean Kavanagh, they'd Richie Till, they'd Neil Ferrugia, they'd Idemo Maku on the bench. Like the majority of these players, Raf walk into most other starting 11s within the league. So he has got the ability to chop and change. Um, come that league fixture when they play on on Sunday, I think it is against Finn Harps. The good news is it's at home, so it limits the amount of travel that they're going to have to do between the next fixture against Gankaway. But there are certainly going to be challenges that are going to come with regards to the fatigue and and just the mental energy that's going to be, I guess, expelled over the next coming weeks. But 
they've had to they've had to balance that throughout this qualifying campaign and they've managed to find their way into the group stage but what you do hope is that they just keep those key players fit um if you think about the european campaigns and when they have looked good Rain Burke came off the bench on one of the occasions and he changed the game. Jack Burke came off the bench and changed the game. And neither of those players have really been fully fit for a consistent period of time over the last six months. So if they could get both of those players fit and ready and back to somewhat near the best, that gives them a massive chance in these European games. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them rested um, within within the league and just maybe get their feet up and, and rely on maybe the players who don't play in those European games to get the job done. But it is vitally important that they continue with with the league because that champions route is is why they're here. That's why they're in the group stage. They need to ensure for the continued growth of the club that they win the league again. I'm sure Stephen Bradley would be massively frustrated with some of the points that they've dropped in the league in recent weeks because he would have wanted to put this campaign to bed as soon as possible so they can focus on the European fixtures. But like any club, like any manager, they'll just take it one game at a time. They'll take, you know, I'm sure all focuses on Thursday night. Once that's put to bed, it'll be straight on to Finn Harps again. But they've certainly got the numbers, they've got the personnel, and they've also got the experience to deal with what's ahead. And in terms of the template for uh, this game on Thursday, we know what the formation is going to be. Largely, we know uh, which players are going to be uh, selected, but how do they approach it, especially at home, where there is always that temptation to, you know, push forward? Yeah, well, listen, I, I don't think Stephen Bradley will, will massively adjust his his tactics nor his beliefs on what his team should be doing for, for most oppositions, particularly at this level. Like the Conference League has been brought in and I'm sure in one sense they're they're probably happy and comfortable to be playing in the Conference League because they probably feel as if these are teams that are in and around their level. So the way Shamrock Rovers have always played is, is with that back five. They'll play the ball out from Manus. If it's not on, they'll go a little more direct to Gaffney or Green or whoever he goes, goes with. But by nature, he Shamrock Rovers has always been positive with the ball. They'll always try to play through the thirds. They haven't got a huge amount of pace on either wing or or through the middle of the pitch, so they have to be very accurate and compose in their build up play. They'll play through the thirds. They'll always look to get the likes of Jack Byrne on the ball to create. And uh, I guess when you got willing runners and Ronan Finn and Andy Lyons, get down the sides and try try to be successful from there. And if you look at the goals and if you if you kind of go back through. The games when when they've done well, it has it has been that way. Um, throw in set pieces and Jack Byrne within the squad, like they have got a, a couple of different ways in which they can hurt opposition. But I would not expect the game plan to change based on how how they've been going about their their play over the last number of years. Yeah, as you mentioned, Stephen Bradley will probably be frustrated with some of the points they have dropped and they uh, dropped points, of course, in the derby against Bohemians on Friday. So uh, Bert with the winner in that. And of course, Sean uh, Grovers also went down to 10 men and it was a managerless uh, Bohemians as well with Derek Pender uh, in as interim manager after they parted ways with Keith Long. And that's among the five results this weekend. So as I said, Bohemians won Sean Grovers nil at Daily Mount Park and then Dundalk uh, drew nil with Shelburne, St. Pat's continued their good form with a 2-1 win over Finn Harps and Derry City also have been bouncing back and a 3-0 win over UCD and then on Saturday Sligo Rovers to draw the United nil just on the derby Paul I mean for from Vaux's point of view I mean they've parted ways with Keith Long after a long period in charge and they're at a, something of a crossroads so it was a perfect result for them especially with the opposition that they were facing yeah very important for for a number of reasons I mean first and foremost I think the the job Keith Long has has done, and I've heard this kind of consistently over the last week, has been amazing, and the journey that he's brought Bohemians 
on and, and maybe it came to a bit of a natural end but it was it was very important that they were able to I guess show some sort of form between now and the end of the season and the Dublin Derby is always a great way to do that and to be fair to Derek Pender and to Trevor Crowley they were very well organised and there was probably an energy and a bite to their play that we maybe haven't seen in previous weeks and they certainly got a kick out of out of that fixture so really important result. the goal itself was exceptional lean burst who I think is always, uh, you know, a good threat for Bowes whenever he plays, just a lovely dummy, and then to bend it into the top corner was superb. But it was a funny old game. Those those Bowes Rovers games can be very high in energy, very high in aggression, and sometimes a bit low in quality. And that was kind of what it was like last Friday. And um, probably a very different game than what Shamrock Rovers will play on Thursday. It'll be more possession based, but for Bowes, it didn't really matter about how they got the results. It was just important that they got three points. And it is an important period of time for them as a club. They're looking to go full-time next year. It's important that they get that appointment right um, with regards to taking them to the next level and the next step in, in their journey. So um, there's been a lot right over the last three, four years down in Daly Mount Park. The journey that they've been on, the support that they've got, the resources they've put into the club has been fantastic. It's just about taking it to the next level. And I'm sure this decision will be thought out very carefully. But if they were to go for Derek Bender, you, you could do a, a hell of a lot worse than than himself. Somebody who loves the club, knows the club inside out. Um, so yeah, watch this space if this goes well for, for the remaining fixtures in the season. Yeah, because... Oh. I watched the game just on my phone because I couldn't get the TV to work. So it's difficult to see what to see the full picture. But from what I could see, it did feel like Bose were able to marshal um Jack Byrne and Roy Gaffney and then Dylan Watts got sent off as well. And when you think about the players that you would expect to play well in European games or that would be really important for Shamrock Rovers. And I think particularly Gaffney, not just for his goal scoring, but also just trouble that he's caused off the ball and, and he's running any, and he's work rate and all that. Do you think Stephen Bradley is going to be worried just given the fact that it was those three key players that weren't performing at their peak? Maybe, maybe slightly, but I just think that the the game itself is such a different game. Like I can't imagine Jew Gardens, Molder or Genk will set up in the way that Bowes did and maybe ended up being a bit more direct. If you look at European games and the way that European teams want to play, they always want to play maybe more in the mold of a, a Shamrock Rovers where they get the ball down. And if you look at it, sometimes they're happy enough to sit off and, and let you have a feel of the ball. And that maybe suits Shamrock Rovers a little better and particularly those players that you mentioned there. Dylan Watson and Jack Byrne found it really difficult to get into the game the other night. Um, Clark in the middle of the pitch, Levingston in the middle of the pitch for both were very good. They were very dogged. You might not come up against that in Europe. I always feel that the opposition will let you have a bit of a feel of the ball and you can maybe enjoy yourself and, and be given a bit more space. But in the final third, you need to be a bit more accurate. So you might see Jack Byrne drop a little deeper just to get involved in the game earlier on. Um, same with Dylan Watson. If you can always get those players ticking, uh, you're always within a chance of creating. But yeah, it might it might be a small bit of a worried Stephen Bradley. I think the form in itself has maybe been a little up and down compared to, to previous campaigns. So uh, getting that right come Thursday night is, is going to be important. Listen, Jack Byrne, whenever he's at it, it doesn't matter who he's playing against, he's always going to be a serious threat to any side. So your fingers crossed for Shamrock Rovers that, that he can hit the form because when he does click into Gary's, he really is a, a, a sight. Yeah, and from a Bulls point of view, as you alluded to, um, with Derek Pender potentially being um, 
a candidate uh, for the for the job on a permanent basis. I mean, uh, you mentioned his passion. So his post-match comments to RT Sport were, look, I've played for the club, obviously, captain the club, coached at the club underage, and I'm a coach at the first team now. One day, would I love to manage Bowes? Um, I this one's going to be there's a few asterisks in here for the next <laughs> for the next sentence, but effing right I would. So that tells you the uh, that tells you the level of passion as well. Like, w- what way do you think Bowes will go though? Um, obviously results could play into Derek Pender's hands if it goes well, but outside of that, who are the candidates you think they would potentially look at that fits the mold of the club? Well, Jim Crawford was was a name that has been kind of be touted around. I can't imagine Jim Crawford is going to leave should the 21s qualify for a major tournament. I think naturally enough, it would make sense to then extend his contract with the FAI and maybe he enjoys that job of developing the players at that age and, and trying to readying them then for more either senior football with their clubs or onto the, the senior team with the national side. But I think somebody in that mould is is probably where they'd look to take us. Um whether or not they bring in a director of football to help out on, on that side of things as well. But it, it certainly feels as if they've they've got a you know a so-called identity about how they want to play. And I, I would imagine it'll be somebody similar to Keith Long, but somebody who could maybe just take it to that next level. I've also heard Stephen Rice's name banded about and and he's again probably a similar mode to to Jim Crawford. Like they're they're modern coaches. They probably want to play similar to the way that Sean McCrofers do get the ball down and play through play through the thirds. And maybe that's where they see their progression maybe going to at this moment in time, they're maybe a little more direct. Maybe they want to start playing through midfield and look to be a bit more expansive in their play. But I think like I mentioned it before, the fact they're going full time this is an investment into the squad. There's going to be more time spent on the training ground, more time with the players. Um, it's it's an important appointment, but it's always a difficult job. Raph. Like to be fair to Keith Long, if you look at the team that started the the FAI Cup final and then the team that started the other night against Shamrock Rovers, not many of those players are still there. Dawson Devoy's gone, even Tierney's gone from last season. Georgia Kelly's gone. Andy Lines is gone. Cornwall is gone. Buckley is gone. You know, it constantly happens to reinvent the wheel. So somebody's going to come in, put a bit of structure on the team, and then hopefully, irrespective of what players are there, they'll have a bit of an identity. But not changing up too much from, from where Long was, but maybe just trying to bring in the next iteration of that squad. Yeah, and bowls of Derry City next on Friday. We'll talk about Derry City very shortly because, of course, they're, uh, they've prepped closer to Shamrock Rovers. But also, in a way, Dundalk, who play UCD on Friday, also could, depending on matters off the field as well, Marie. I mean... They're, uh, you know, they're not, you know, they're not that far off the top in terms of the the title race. They're they're six points off. Obviously, they've played a couple more games than Shamrock Rovers, but there is the situation with the Sligo Rovers game. So Sligo Rovers beat them two nil, uh, but they they have a disciplinary hearing because of Adam McDonald's participation in the match having been allegedly suspended, but. Sligo Rovers are, of course, contesting this. And their own statement is the club received contradictory communications from the FAI on Adam's possible suspension. Legal advice has been taken and the club will be represented at the hearing. A further update will follow when available. So if that were to swing, obviously Dundalk would meet, would move three points closer to Shamrock Rovers at the top. But it's it's a, it's a again, we've talked about convoluted situations with the playoff draw for the Ireland women's team. This is a slightly messy situation as well. 
Yeah, and it feels like it's it's going to be even messier. And I, and when you hear the words contradictory communications from the FAI, I think that there's probably a bit of sympathy there for our, for 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 Sligo Rovers. Um, yeah, it's one of those things we're just going to have to wait and see how it plays out. Um, like in fairness, like clubs are professional now. The suspension lists are always emailed out beforehand. You'd have to think that you know, Slug Rovers aren't going to be full, full on a fast one, that there was a mistake made, a breakdown of communication. It'll be interesting to see the details that come out. Um, You know, most things are done now by email as well. So uh, the fact that they're seeking legal advice, you would think that and hearing that there is evidence somewhere along the way or they feel like that they have a case that they can uh, go forward with this. But, um, you know, from Slug Rovers' point of view, you know, it's going to be an interesting one to, to, to follow and, like when you're looking at a league and it's coming to this stage and there's only, you know, it could swing a game here or there. Like these points are important and um, you can argue the rights and, and the wrongs about trying to get points over someone else's mistake. But if it brings somebody closer to the top of the table or it, you know, influences a league title going your way, then, you know, people are going to go after it. And I think especially with the fact that there's going to be so many fine margins over the next few weeks, Shamrock Rovers are going to have all of these games and they've lost to Bose. There's so little in it now. The talk of them marching away with the title isn't really there as much anymore because, um, you know, you can see that they are stretched, even though they do have that that depth in the squad. They are a little bit more vulnerable because of all the fixtures coming. So, um, you know, Dundalk are going to want the points. Sorry, Rovers are going to want the points um there's going to be a hearing a case and we're just gonna to have to wait and see yeah and Derry City obviously kind of in that mix as well we'll be watching very closely and we've got the Bohemians game live on RT2 and the RT player on Friday so um we'll be watching that one very very closely but Paul I mean Derry Derry's form we've talked about like obviously the start of the season brilliant and then they went off the boil but they just seem to be coming back into it now and with uh, maybe a sniff of a chance with as we've said Shamrock Rovers being heavily involved in Europe and a huge fixture list coming up as well yeah, I mean, they're still four points behind Shamrock Rovers and Shamrock Rovers have a game in hand. So the ball is most certainly in Stephen Bradley's court. But yeah, you mentioned it there. I think this season was always going to be a bit topsy-turvy for, for Derry City, just with regards to the number of new faces that they were bringing into the building. It was It's only Rory's second season. Well, kind of, he's only coming into about 12 months now, but um, second playing season in charge. And they hit that that kind of bad patch of form and they couldn't really seem to get out of it. And they dropped too many points along, along the way there, Rafa. And that's probably going to ultimately cost them. But I think for whether it's been Dundalk or Derry, anytime they've, they've kind of gotten close to Shamrock Rovers, they've then fallen away again. And I'm sure that would be something that Rory be looking to maybe rectify next year where they need a bit more consistency in their performance. But I think what is vitally important for them is that Michael Duffy is back fit. Like he, it was such a huge loss earlier on in the season when he broke his leg. He scored the other night against UCD. If you can guess, you know, we spoke about Jack Byrne at, at Shamrock Rovers. Michael Duffy, when he was at Dundalk, was arguably the, the player of, of the league uh, on many occasions. And, and he was consistently good. He popped up with so many goals. He's such a natural dribble of the ball and he's very exciting to watch whenever he does get going. So if he can keep fit, um, it certainly gives them a really good chance of, of hanging on to second place. I just feel like the gap between the two sides at this moment in time is too great that if the pressure really came to the fore, I think Champ Groves will kick on again. 
Yeah, and the fixtures this weekend, Shelburne against Ligo Rovers, UCD against Dundalk, Derry City against Bohemians, Drawdy United against Pats, and Shamrock Rovers against Finharp. So two tough games there also for the two teams battling at the bottom. In the first division, uh, Cork City are at Waterford this Friday, and with the gap that they have, albeit with Galway United and Waterford both having a game in hand, but especially Galway, eight points behind them. I think with Cork City would be looking at this as a means of uh, sort of consolidating their uh, their hold of this promotion. Uh, automatic promotion place especially with time starting to run out in the season Bob yeah absolutely and listen it's it's been a it's been an interesting watch I think the job that Colin Healy has done at Cork is is just remarkable just bloating in such a a number of young players into that team and, and the progression that we've seen but it's always really difficult to tell outside of the team who's maybe running away with it at the top of the league which way it's going to go on the basis of that playoff system um, once you get in there, it's it's a real lottery with regards to who's actually going to get into that playoff then with the team from the Premier Division table. But it's uh, it's an interesting one. I just think that the job that, that Colin has done down there um, is just so admirable. And I think to get Cork back up into the first division and and hopefully with crowds and, and bringing that part of the country back into the Premier Division will be huge. And then outside of that, you can maybe take your pick of of who's going to likely get promoted. Yeah, and Galway are at Cove Ramblers and not in the best of form. Lost to and drew one of the last three league games since mid-July. Uh, but also in the Women's National League, a huge amount of big fixtures there. Sligo Rovers against Galway, DLR Waves against Athlone, who are doing really well in third place. Treaty United against Bohemians. And then the two big games that will affect the top, Wexford against Cork City and then Shelburne against Peamount. Again, a huge game. And with the way the table is, Marie, uh, you know, there was a point maybe a couple of months ago where we were looking at Shelburne running away with it but Wexford have got within two points now and even P-Mount should they beat Shelburne would only be then five points adrift so it's shaping up for a very exciting run in now Yeah it really is and look it delivered last year when it came to final day excitement and you would hope that you know something similar will happen as well um, it's been a disappointing season though for P-Mount so far and to be sitting in, in fourth place um, it's not it's not where they want to be but you know all credit to, to Shelburne and Maxford and Athlone as well you know they've really led the charge they've kept P-Mount at bay but I do think that with everything that's going on in, in Shamrock Rovers as well, and the fact they're going to introduce a team next year, and there's a lot of talk as well that it could be uh, some professional or semi-professional contracts on offer there as well. Um, it's just a really interesting time for women's football in Ireland. And, um, you know, I, I think that if that does happen, it'll be, you know, we'll be kind of keeping an eye on what happens with the P-Mount players and how that all works out because they're pretty much a stone's throw from each other. And, um you know, it could end up changing the the face of football here in Ireland. I think it's a really interesting twelve months, and you know those top teams are are going to be they're going to be they're going to want to to be on top before things start to change because I do feel that domestically things are going to change here as well. Yeah, and also last night we had Champions League coverage, Celtic against Real Madrid, and a really brave Celtic performance as well. Uh, but obviously Real Madrid, as we know, have pedigree and eventually eased out, uh, eked out a, a three. Well, eked out is probably the wrong word when you win three nil. But uh, based on the first half performance, certainly you would have thought, um, you know, Celtic, Celtic gave them a good run for their money. But Marie, I know you were watching this one, uh, particularly closely. It was, uh, it was a. They had, you know, they had preview that they would be bold in the way they approached it and Celtic didn't dis- disappoint on that front no they didn't and like for 45 minutes it was you're kind of sitting there like in, in disbelief I think a lot of people thought that Celtic were going to put up a really good challenge um, 
challenge for them. But I don't think that people thought they were going to be as good as they were in those opening 45 minutes. You know, they're the ones created the more chances. Um, you know, I thought they were they were going to score at some stage anyway and, and felt disappointed for them that they didn't. But Ange Postacoglu has been a revelation there. And, you know, we'll probably end up talking about Chelsea in a while and I'm surprised that he hasn't been uh, linked with down there yet. But he's the one who came out and said, look, we're going to play a certain way. We're going to put on a show for fans. We're going to get them out of their seats. And, you know, for those 45 minutes, I'd say there, was, <laughs> there wasn't any Celtic fans sitting, sitting down because there was so much excitement. Unfortunately, then for them in the second half, you know, I suppose, look, it's a, a cliche as well, but Real Madrid did start to, to show their class and look, they're, you know, they're the European champions. They have some of the best players in the world. You wouldn't have been able to tell that in the opening 45 minutes and, um, you know, they they pushed on. But like, it's strange to come away from a 3-0 victory. And I know moral victories don't matter for anything, but I think it was more just in an examination of where they're at. And the fact now that Celtic fans are going to come away and say like, look, we look right at home here. We belong at this level of European football you know, with a little bit of work, it's something to aim for, to be able to go out and, and challenge these big teams and have those nights, um, those nights in Europe. Because last night, like just watching it on the TV looked absolutely unbelievable um, there. And you couldn't help but be excited for them for what the, the rest of the group games hold. Yeah, and then Chelsea, at the end of the coverage last night uh, after the Celtic-Real Madrid match, I did hear Kevin Doyle uh, making a point he didn't think Chelsea were going to finish in the top four, but more importantly, he said uh, he didn't think Thomas Tuchel would see out the season. And then I woke up this morning and then, uh, you know, a couple a couple of hours trying to reacclimatize to life and then I just looked at my phone and Thomas Tuchel is gone, Paul. I mean, <laughs> I know Kevin Doyle, like I'm not saying Kevin Doyle is Nostradamus, but uh, it happened a lot more quickly than anyone would have expected. It certainly did. I mean, I was uh, I was very surprised, but maybe not shocked, just in the sense that it's very much in in Chelsea's DNA to to change their managers, even pre Abramovich, during Abramovich, and now post Abramovich. Um, but I, I mean, since that new regime has gone in, what they have shown is that they do want to change the the regime and they want to put their own kind of stamp on it. They made that clear when they got rid of Peter Cech and when they got rid of Mariana. Uh, Granovskia, I think that's the pronunciation, but that was a clear kind of indication that they were going to take it in their own direction. And I mean, the last, particularly last night, there was there was noticeable tension between Tuchel and the players and Tuchel doesn't really hide that very well. You know, he was kind of waving his hands around and he was marching up and down his, his technical area, clearly frustrated with the performances of so, certain individuals. And you combine that with some of the results that we've seen, particularly Southampton, and leads away from home, the nature of the goals. At times it did look as if players were maybe not putting in the performances or that level of fight that you would have come to expect of a top team fighting for their manager. But there was noticeable tension within the group. He he tried to get rid of Ziyech, he tried to get rid of Pulisic, he sold Lukaku, he got rid of Werner. And some of those players didn't actually end up leaving the building. And I can imagine that that created a bit of a, a tense atmosphere within the dressing room and... I mean, particularly when you think that, you know, Pulisic is American and and, and Pulisic is, is a big name back in the States with these owners coming in. I'm sure they want to ensure that they get the most out of out of him. But it's um it is a surprising decision. It looks as if now at this moment in time that Graham Potter seems pretty nailed on for the job. Uh, Brighton have have given Chelsea permission to speak to him. He's done an incredible job at Brighton. Uh, Bolia at the Dodgers has had the same manager. I know it's a, it's a completely different environment, but he's had the same person in charge for the last seven, eight years. He probably wants somebody in that mold and maybe didn't feel that that Tuchel was that man. But it's it's a bit of a roller coaster with Bowley in charge. Um, 
in American sports, the owners lift the trophies. And I get the feeling if Chelsea were to win anything, Bowley be right down there on the pitch <laughs> with his hands on it first. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's surprising. But I, I don't think they'll they'll take their time, Raph. I'd say they'll be quite swift and decisive with appointing their next manager. Yeah, it looks like it is Graham Potter, as you said. But uh, I think that brings us to an end anyway. Uh, Marie, thanks to Mill for coming on this week. And also, Paul, uh, next week it'll be Liverpool versus Ajax live on RT2 and the RT player at 7.30. So we'll uh, chat to you next week. Yeah.